Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. There are many ways that you and I can interpret the idea of being a follower of someone. There's the obvious idea That we like what someone has to say, and so we follow their teaching, and we try to apply what they teach to our lives. That's usually viewed as a positive thing, right? You have found someone whose view of the world is something you want to emulate, and so you look at trying to be like them and pattern your life around what they teach. But let's not miss that there is often a negative connotation to being a follower as well. When a young person gets in trouble, we quickly go to the idea that they are, what, following the crowd. And what's the first lecture that, our, that passes through our lips as parents when we identify that? You need to be a leader and not a follower, right? I'm seeing a lot of smiles. A lot of us have said that. When the example isn't so good, we quickly move away from being a follower as a good thing to, yeah, maybe you should be a leader instead. Well, then there's something else to think about with being a follower. In our day, we've made the idea of following someone rather innocuous. It doesn't mean much at all because we can click the follow button on Twitter or Instagram rather easily and we can say, I follow them. Now, this might be a friend or a classmate, somebody we know, It might be someone we agree with completely or someone our views don't line up with at all. We're just curious what they have to say. It might be a famous actor or a music group we enjoy. It could even be a parody account. Those are rather popular. Or someone pretending to be a favorite fictional character of ours. In other words, to follow someone in our modern connotation doesn't mean altogether that much. We can say that we follow them But in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? Does it really affect our lives all that much? But when we talk about following Jesus, it means something. It has to mean something. It's to impact our life. It's to shape us. It means more than being interested in what he has to say. It it means that we follow after him and we desire to conform our lives to his commands. And as we continue through the book of Luke this morning, we find ourselves seeing Jesus calling his disciples. And when they followed him, it didn't mean they were just liking or retweeting what he had to say. It meant that they left everything. It meant that they decided to follow him and count the cost. So as we cross over from Luke chapter 4 today into chapter 5, we're going to break down these 11 verses we've read so far today and put it into three different points to help us keep track of what is going on in the text. So the first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus is doing more than just teaching in the synagogues. So we've only read so far in Luke about him teaching in synagogues. But now, the idea being expressed to us is that Jesus is becoming very popular. It's spilling out from the synagogues into the highways and byways of what is going on in Galilee. Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus continues to show 
that he has power over nature. Now, we've seen this in some of the miracles that have happened so far in Luke. But here he is interacting with some fishermen. And what we see is a power that is beyond our comprehension. And we see that in the way that Simon Peter responds. That's our third point. We see that this power causes some fishermen to follow Jesus. But it isn't because his power can bring them a financial windfall. It's because they see the miracles of Jesus for what they are. Signs that he is more than just a skilled and wise teacher. Jesus possesses the power of God himself. And so, we dive right into Luke 5 this morning as we start out with our first point. As we look at verses 1 through 3, is Jesus is teaching by the lake of Gennesaret, or the, the Sea of Galilee. Now, as I mentioned while lining out the points... We really haven't seen Luke tell us about Jesus teaching in this way before. We know it because we have all heard about the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think the Mount was a synagogue. So we know Jesus teaches out and about. Now that doesn't mean that it wasn't already a part of the ministry of Jesus. It just means that it hasn't been a part of the story that Luke has been telling us yet. But here we see Luke ready to give us more information, to let us know about the popularity that Jesus is developing. And he does this by letting us know that on one occasion, the crowd was pressing in on Jesus. Now, I think we can all sort of relate to this, because I think we've all likely been at some event where people are pressing around us. Now, I particularly think of shows that I used to go to in tiny little venues Uh, when I was in high school and and college. Now, there weren't thousands of people in those places, maybe a few hundred, but we were all pressed in, and no one could move, and everyone was trying to get to the front. And when the crowd went one day, one way, you know what happens. You you all kind of move, and you're like, how did I end up over here? The crowd, you just sort of sway with the crowd. That's how I imagine this idea here. Now, the best part about these events part I loved most about these small-time shows in basements of halls, wherever they were at, was the fantastic way all those people smelled. Let me tell you, they, no, a bunch of punk kids did not smell good, right? But you can imagine, as you're imagining this scene in your head, they didn't have 21st century hygiene standards. Can you imagine all these people pressing in? You can smell the lake, the fish, the people, You can imagine, you can imagine what it was like. Now, all these people want to be near Jesus because not only have they heard about him, but what do they want to do? They want to hear what he has to say. You know, when we started out this morning, I was kind of check, check. I wanted to make sure my my microphone worked because you want to hear me. Or at least I hope you do. They didn't have that benefit They were pressing in because they wanted to hear Jesus. They didn't have our modern amplification. They they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They were pressing in not only to be healed, but to know what this Jesus, this famed teacher, was going to tell them. And that's the image that is developed here for us in Luke. Jesus wants more people to be able to hear him and see him, and so When he sees two boats by the lake, he has an idea. The fishermen aren't in the boats, and we're we're told that they're washing their nets. Now, 
This is an indication that the fishermen are done for the day. When they would finish up, they would clean the muck out of the nets and mend them so that they could be ready to start up the next day. So Jesus gets into one of the boats, and he has them put him out from the land a little ways. And and just imagining this, you can see why this is a good idea. He's getting space between himself and the people. More people can see him. More people can see him. They can't press up against him when he's in a boat, right? And so there's a better chance that his voice is going to spread because it's not going to be absorbed in by the mass of people that is up against him. And I think this is kind of a cool little scenario for us to imagine, way better than imagining how bad a first century crowd stinks, right? So here we have a nice little scenario that we can imagine. They're pushing up against him to the lake. He's sort of run into it. And and so instead of getting upset or telling people to move, he makes it possible for these people who want to hear him to hear him. And seriously, how amazing would it have been to be there that day? Imagine that you were, you were far enough away from him that you couldn't really hear him, and in fact, maybe you didn't even know who you were pressing into. You'd maybe never even really seen what Jesus looked like. You had just heard about him. And then, after wanting to be a part of it, to see what he looks like, to hear what he has to say, he separates himself, and you see this man in the boat, and you can listen to him teach. And people tell you, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Just, just an amazing, amazing thing to imagine this developing. And we see, once again, Luke drawing out something that he has already mentioned earlier, earlier about Jesus. Jesus sits down. Now, those of you who are big into boat safety, when we read this, you were really glad. Oh, thank goodness, Jesus sat down. He's not going to tip over. I bet he wasn't wearing a life jacket because they didn't have him yet. But the idea of sitting down wasn't about safety. That's what a rabbi did when he taught. He sat down. This was the posture for teaching. And Luke lets us know that Jesus is again taking the time to formally teach the people who've come to hear him speak. And before we move on to the meatier part of this story, I want to again draw out the big point being driven home to us in these first few verses. Jesus is a big deal. He's a big deal. The people are flocking to him. They can't get enough of him. In fact, Jesus needs to take measures to ensure that more people will hear what he has to say. And as the story continues and and we move on to our second point, we're going to find that Luke wants us to understand that Jesus is not just some guy who has done well to entertain the masses with his teaching. He is more than just a fan favorite. His teaching has authority. Luke wants us to understand this deeply. And And we see this with this fantastic miracle that he tells us about in the next chunk of verses that we're looking at. Jesus finishes teaching, and so he turns to Simon Peter to tell him to go out deeper into the lake and put down their nets. Now, now remember what we read about the situation before Jesus started to teach. They were cleaning up their nets. They were finishing up for the day. You know how you feel when you've just finished doing something and you have to get everything all dirty again, and you know you're going to have to clean it up again. You know, you know you don't want to do that. I've never had to clean or mend first century fishing nets, but I'm guessing throwing them back in the lake 
probably was a big deal and was going to require them to clean them again, require them to mend them again. And the initial response of Peter kind of lets us know that my assumption about the difficulty of this is correct. They've been fishing all night, Peter says, and we didn't catch anything. The idea is that they're tired, and it's a worthless endeavor. There isn't any chance that this is going to be profitable, because the fish aren't ending up in their nets. But we see that Peter means it when he calls Jesus master here. He calls him master, and he means it because he does whatever Jesus says. He's going to be obedient to him and put the nets out. Now, while I would have loved to have been able to put eyes on the scene where Jesus was teaching when he was there in the boat, I would have just loved to have seen this miraculous catch of fish. We read that the nets are breaking. Imagine them struggling and trying to pull the bulging nets up into the boat. They're struggling with holding on and with being pulled into the lake themselves. I would imagine that they likely didn't even really have time to think about the miracle. There's a crisis happening. We need to get these in. We need to avoid not falling into the lake ourselves. They probably weren't even really thinking about the miracle because of the crisis in front of them. And Luke lets us know just how full the nets are by informing us that they had to have the other boat come and give them a hand. And we see that this is a good thing that the other boat came because there are so many fish that they fill both boats and they can barely handle the load. The nets and the boats were not even designed to hold as many fish as Jesus has given them here. And the point is that this isn't that, that Peter and his friends have caught quite a few fish when they couldn't catch any before. That's not the point of us hearing the miracle. What we see is that Jesus has caused a ridiculous amount of fish to be caught. This is not happenstance. It's a miracle. It's of divine origin. And what is being signaled to us, what Luke is letting us know very clearly, is that Jesus is more than just a man. From the angel telling of his conception at the beginning of Luke, and up through everything we've read, up until now, Luke has been flashing the sign Jesus is the one. And he wants us to know, once again, that Jesus is divine. And here, what is it connected to? It's connected to his teaching. What he has taught these people, these are not simply the words of a guy who studied the scriptures and has figured out how to teach these biblical truths to the masses. And this is not just a man who has studied the rhetoric styles of the people around him, and he's got it figured out so perfectly that more people will show up to listen to him than anyone who's come before him. The miracle here shows us that he is divine, and it shows that he is more amazing than anyone who came before him. His miracle confirms that he is a teacher with authority from God. And we see that Peter understands this deeply in his reaction as we finish up the passage with our third point, as the fishermen come to be followers of Jesus. We see this reaction of Peter that that he truly gets it. He doesn't say, that was cool, can you fill three boats? Instead, he, he realizes who Jesus is 
and he falls down at the knees of Jesus. We don't bow before people in our culture, so we don't fully grasp what's going on here, but we know enough about this to understand that he is putting himself in subjection to Jesus. And what we see here is that Peter understands that Jesus is no mere man. A human cannot do what Jesus has done. This isn't a parlor trick meant to entertain a few guests. This is an absolute miracle. And notice what Peter says to Jesus to verify how he views Jesus. He tells him to depart from him. Now that's an interesting statement. You would think that Jesus probably just more than doubled the income of these fishermen for the month with this catch of fish. The natural reaction would be, stick by me, Jesus. Because I bet you can do this in another part of the lake where they really haven't been jumping in the nets. We haven't caught much over the last several weeks, Jesus. Can you stick around and fill the nets a few more times? Why don't we prove how amazing you are by doing this a few more times? That would be my natural reaction and probably yours as well. But Peter realizes that this is about more than his financial gain. It's more than just about his success. He says this because he realizes he is in the presence of someone who is divine, and he's a sinful man. He knows that in the presence of God, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He is unholy. But here he stands in the presence of someone who has power over nature itself. He knows that he is undone. He is in the presence of holiness. And he can't stay there on his own. And we see that it isn't just Peter who is amazed by all this. We have seen the familiar name of Simon, and now we see two new familiar names, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They have also witnessed the power of Jesus. And look at the loving way in which Jesus addresses Peter. Don't be afraid. You're going to be catching men from now on. They're going to go from casting out the nets into the lake to bring fish into the boat to now casting out the word of God to bring people into the kingdom of God. What a change. Casting nets for fish to casting the word of God that they might hear and believe the good news of the kingdom. And we know how they respond. They bring the boats in, and they leave everything to follow Jesus. They're all in. And why is that? Because they've been in his presence, and they understand who he is. What else could they do? What else could they do being in the presence of God? Being presence of someone who has power over nature? Are you going to see that miracle and say, you know... I think I'm just going to get these fish in, wash out the nets again, sell the fish, and go to bed and come back and plop my nets in the water again tomorrow. Is that what you do when you've seen this? Of course not. They understood who Jesus was, and so they knew that he was the one that they had to follow. He was the one. So they left everything, and they followed him. After coming into contact with Jesus... Their lives couldn't stay the same. He had called them, and they would follow. And so we see the scope of this story. And the application for us is clear here, because we can see this in our own lives. As, as we head out into the world this week, I believe that there are two very clear challenges for us, and they are difficult challenges. 
as we try to apply this to our lives. The first thing that we see is that we're called to obey Jesus. Simon Peter gives us a clear example of what this looks like. To him, it didn't seem to make sense to put the nets into the water, did it? Not only had they just cleaned them up, they were ready to be done for the day. They had had zero success during the night. They wanted to be done. In his mind, they were the fishermen. Jesus was the rabbi teaching in the boat. What does he know about fishing? What does he know about any of this? There was no chance for success doing this during the day. If they couldn't catch him during the night, they're not going to catch him during the day. But for Peter, the command of Jesus was clear, and Peter heard and he obeyed. Now, you and I hear the commands of God, and they're clear. We know that he has called us to obedience to his law, but it's very easy for us to come up with reasons that those commands aren't really what's best for us. Maybe we think the law of God is old. It doesn't really work in our age. We're more enlightened. Maybe we're more compassionate or something. The clear statements of God can't be clear in every day. How could that be possible, we think? And another temptation we have is that, is that we mean well. Even though we maybe aren't following God as closely as we should, we mean well, and God gets it. He knows that I really, truly love him and So that little sin I enjoy isn't that big of a deal, is it? These are the things that we tell ourselves. But we know that instead of these justifications, how we should respond is to respond as Peter did. And that is to follow in faith, trusting that what God has commanded in his word is actually what is best for us. So may the Spirit empower us to take God at his word. And may that lead us to our second application. May we follow Jesus. As I opened up, I mentioned how innocuous we've made the idea of following someone in our age. But we see in the story what was, what was in front of the disciples. We see that following Jesus is very serious business. They left everything and followed him. In our day, We view following as mixing a little of this and a little of that. We have certain things that that someone will tell us, and and maybe we'll take that to heart, but the next things they say, we'll pass on. We might even introduce some ideas that are contrary to what some of the other people we follow have to say. But Jesus shows up, and he lets us know that that doesn't really work. You see, he is Lord and Savior. It's a package deal. He's both. He's our Savior and he's our Lord, which means we need to listen to him. Think back to the reaction of Peter. What did he do when he realized who Jesus was? He knew he wasn't worthy to be in his presence because he was a sinner. And the Holy Spirit has come to us. In our hearing of the word and hearing of God's law, we know that we're sinners. We don't have any hope Because we understand that we were born dead in trespasses and sins. We understand we were born enemies of God. And we can't stay in God's presence on our own. And we heard this. And we were convicted of our sins. But then something wonderful happened. The sweet news of the gospel came to our ears. And we heard it and believed by faith. We we understood 
that when we have faith in Christ, the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin and for our unbelief, all of that wrath was poured out on Christ. And we receive the perfect righteousness of his keeping of the law on our behalf. And when the Spirit convicts us of that truth, we understand that Jesus is the one worth following. He is the only way that offers us hope. His way is the one that brings us peace with God. And so may we depart from here today following Jesus and casting wide the net of the gospel that the Spirit might be at work in those around us to bring others to faith, that they might hear, be convicted of their sin, and hear that sweet news of the gospel and follow Jesus as well. May we obey and may we follow because God has called us to obedience and to follow him in faith for who he is and for what he has done to save us, that he might receive all the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.